one of the stories you hear over and over from from a lot of people is is you know they finally find a big buck, they sneak up and then they shoot and they miss. And uh, and not that I don't miss, I do, but I do everything in my power to make sure that when I do finally get that shot, it it counts. Your family has to be your number one priority, and and what I've tried to do is spend as much time uh, and as much attention as I can while I'm with them so that when, right. I, when I am gone, gone, they don't feel that they're being, you know, ignored or abandoned. So, yeah, it's, it's especially hard with, with young kids. It's, it's very difficult. And uh, it becomes easier as your kids get older, especially if they go with you. The one thing I, I can say that I truly learned over the last 30 or 40 years of bow hunting is to always have fun. And, and a lot of that depends on the, the, the people you choose to hunt with. Uh, one thing that I found is, you know, hunting is our recreation. It's what we do for fun. Uh, mm -hmm. But a lot of people kind of lose that uh, that sense uh, in in their quest to be successful. They lose the, the, uh, the enjoyment and, and the camaraderie. Hey guys, welcome to Throwback Thursdays. I've gone through my library and started picking out some of the most popular podcasts over the last 12, 14 years or whatever, how long it's been, I've forgotten now, uh, that I've been doing this and um, we've re-edited them and put them out there for you guys to, uh, to check out. A lot of good information there. So forgive me, some of them might be a little bit poor quality, you know, depending on when it was recorded. But uh, Throwback Thursday is brought to you by HowlForWildlife.org. Howl for Wildlife was designed to give the hunter and angler a fast-acting tool to combat anti-hunting and fishing bills and initiatives. Howl has given us sportsmen and women not only the ability to act fast, but to amplify our voices and to be heard on issues concerning wildlife management. Howl supports science-based wildlife management and will continue to fight any initiative that goes against sound management. So become a member at howlforwildlife.org. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. Today we have with us uh, on the phone, well, you know what? He's one of my hunting idols, actually. He's uh, a guy that I look up to. I feel that uh, if I wanted to emulate anybody's career, he's definitely one of those guys. And uh, he's always treated me with respect. Every time we've talked, he's never, you know, talked down to me, even though his resume is far, as far surpasses my own. Always treated me as an equal. And uh, it's, it's Randy Elmer. How you doing, Randy? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for the kind words. You deserve them, man. I, uh, there's really, there's, there's very few people in the industry that I, I look up to and, and you definitely make the, the the top of my uh my short list so and uh, thank you I, so well i get questions shot at me all the time you know via internet via facebook and instagram so on and so forth and i start like saving questions and stuff like that and once i've gotten enough questions uh, about a specific topic i set them aside and i find the guy that feels best suited to answer those questions so that's part of the reason why I had you on the phone today. But before we jump into the questions, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, uh, I'm actually a veterinarian, uh, equine veterinarian by profession. Um, but I've uh, got 
two kids, uh, wife, two kids, and the kids. Uh, one's in a sophomore in college in Colorado, and one's a senior in high school here in uh, in Arizona. And um, really, uh, love the outdoors. Been hunting uh, oh since since uh, I was old enough to walk, and uh, just have a great passion for the outdoors, and especially bow hunting and archery. Yeah, you uh, you used to shoot a lot of uh, tournament stuff too, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, I guess that's really. I started out as a bow hunter and got into competitive shooting, and that's probably the main reason I I kind of got a reputation is for my shooting initially. Cool. So I mean, you started off really early in life, and you're um, I'm assuming what you started hunting with your dad or. Yeah, uh, started, uh, our family hunted, we rifle hunted when I was very young, uh, our family, uh, goes way back and, uh, we hunted for subsistence, <laughs> mainly, uh, we weren't really trophy hunters when I was a kid, but, uh, my brother picked up the bow, uh, we, we shot bows, but we really never hunted with bows till we were, oh, 17, 18 years old, and my brother actually picked up a bow first, and, and, uh, and went hunting and uh, told me how much fun it was. So we started bow hunting very seriously after that, and uh, we've uh, just never never quit. So we've been bow hunting for oh forty years now. Wow, that's almost about the time that I started really bow hunting. Was right around that seventeen. I, I again, kind of like you, I I got introduced rifle hunting. My my dad and my uncles, you know, they rifle hunted. And, uh, back east for whitetail and you know we'd go once twice a year you know since I was real little five years old something like that you know chasing my dad around in the woods and then uh, I picked up bow hunting on my own because like, nobody in my family did it um, I just my dad actually bought me a recurve way too heavy for me to pull back when I was really young you know like 12 or something like that and um, and then I had like one of those plastic fiberglass, you know, 20 pound long bows that you could shoot on either side of the rest type deal. Uh, that's kind of how I started shooting. And then, uh, you know, later in my teens when I picked up compound bow and started, you know, shooting more, uh, consistently and then wanting to hunt with it and stuff. So I, I, I have one of those fiberglass bows. I got one on six years old. And as a matter of fact, uh, I've kept it through all these years. I still have it. You're right. You can shoot it on either side of the rest. And, yeah. uh, and I, you know, my kids shot it. And whenever I have a little kid over here, they, they still shoot that thing. Uh, it's lasted yeah. for, well, geez, it's, that's close to 50 years. So <laughs> is, it like one of those, is it lime green? It's lime green, uh, stri- yeah, you know, like kind of striped. Yep. <laughs> they probably <laughs> made, made millions of them. They still make it. I've seen them. I've seen them out there. <laughs> I'm not joking. They still make it. I, it must be like, I, I'm, I'm not sure what company makes it, but, um, I've, I've seen them. I almost picked, I almost picked up that bow for my daughter because when she first started shooting, she started shooting at no joke at two years old. Um, wow. But I, I found Samick makes a little, little itty bitty recurve. It's like 12 pounds, I think draw, but it's, you know, tip to tip, it's probably 14 inches, 15 inches long. So it's real <laughs> small and wieldable. And, uh, yeah, so she started shooting that and, uh, I just, now she's seven. I just recently put her in, uh, Matthews, um, the, uh, 
micro, micro mini, I think it's called. Anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I, I'm glad that my, my kids are not into hunting yet, but they, they do like to shoot the bow. So and hopefully it'll, it'll, uh, it'll turn into that eventually. Yeah, I've got pictures of my bow so. kids at about two or three years old shooting and you know, they, they, they just shot straight up in the air and, and uh, like to see the arrow fly. Uh, they didn't <laughs> shoot, start shooting for accuracy till they were 10 or 12. Um, something about, the, you know, as Ted Nugent says, the magical, mystical flight of the arrow. They just love to watch arrows fly, and they'd, they'd shoot. I, all my old competition arrows, they'd shoot about 50 of them down into the desert, and then we'd go gather them up. <sighs> That's cool. That's cool. My, my, my oldest, Ella, she's... She's like, uh, I don't know. She's a little OCD. So she, she wanted to shoot good from, from go. My, my, uh, my other daughter, Olivia, she really, um, she could take it or leave it. She likes to just pull the arrow back and shoot it. You know, they like, kind of like your kids are just, you know, enjoy to see the arrow going. But Ella, she, she gets pissed off when she misses. So (laughs) she's real competitive, but. Anyway, um, oh, I forgot to ask you how uh, how'd you guys end up doing on that sheep hunt with your uh, nephew? Oh, really good. My cousin uh, Jeremy. Oh, your cousin Homer, and uh, yeah, he's uh, very lucky. He he actually drew a Rocky Mountain sheep tag uh, here in Arizona last year, and I went and helped him, and, and he shot a very nice ram, and he drew a desert sheep tag here in Arizona this year and for those of you that, that don't know back the odds of doing that are, are probably oh greater God. than a million to one and uh, so anyway I went with him and uh, he ended up killing a very 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 nice ram as of what the 10th or the 12th it was the the biggest ram they had checked in in, in the, you know the northern units the Nelsona unit so a beautiful beautiful ram beautiful ram so he, he did well he's got uh half of his grand slam and now he's trying to figure out how to save up money to go. Uh, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say this cause he hasn't, he hasn't proposed it to his wife yet, but he wants to, uh, start working on his, uh, <laughs> grand slam, which is going to cost him quite a bit, but he, he's yeah. working on a, a doll sheep hunt now. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least you got the most expensive one out of the way, the desert. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, he's off to a great start. Yeah, that's for sure. That's cool. Did you do it with the bow or did you do it with the rifle? Oh, both of them with the bow. Both of them with the bow. So he's uh, he's a very accomplished bow hunter uh, and uh, did real well. Did very well. Got two very, very nice sheep. I'm a little envious. Both his sheep are, are bigger than than uh, my respected sheep. So uh, he, 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 he did better than I've done. Awesome. So like I mentioned, I have some questions uh, that get shot out to us. So my first one is, what are the three things you attribute you can, your consistent success to? Well, um, and I assume, John, that you're talking about uh, mule success? Yeah, let's talk about mule. It, yeah, let's, let, you know, I'm going to gear all these two mule deer hunting. I know you've quite the accomplished elk hunter as well. And at the time, at, at one point, you were probably mm-hmm. noted for that above your mule deer hunting, but um, I'd say you've probably killed more big mule deer than uh, anybody that I know. So, <laughs> yeah, but, well, for mule deer hunting, uh, I, I, I'd say s- several things. Uh, 
probably the most important thing for me is 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 scouting. When I was, um, I've kind of structured my lifestyle or or tried to structure it to where I I could take time off. Uh, and back before I could take much time off from work to go hunting, uh, you know, I would just go out when the season started and 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 hunt and and didn't have a whole lot of success but when i was able to take more time off i started uh scouting a lot more and and uh and became much more successful you know the key to shooting a big mule there as you well know the first step is is to find a big mule there and uh, mm-hmm. and you know that's a little bit of a cliche but it's really true and i'm able to go out and scout a great deal now and I probably scout for 30 days in the summer. Uh, so I would have to say the number one thing for me is, is scouting, is finding a couple of bucks that are, you know, worthy of chasing and then pattern them and, and uh, using that information once the season starts to, to try to hit harvest one of them. And second would be probably persistence. Uh, it used to be that... If I would find a big buck and if I spooked him, I, I, I would pretty much in my mind think that it was over with that deer and, and mm-hmm. that I would never find him again. And, and now I, once I find a big deer, even if I spook him, I'll be patient, wait a few days and, and try to pick him up again. So just kind of sticking with it, sticking with a big deer and, and knowing that they're not going to disappear, that they're actually going to come out again and you're going to find them again. So I think persistence would probably be the number two. And then, and one of the, I think number three is the fact that I've I've done my very best to improve my shooting, and that's why I started shooting competition in the first place is just to become a better bow hunter. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the stories you hear over and over from from a lot of people is is you know they finally find a big buck, they sneak up, and then they shoot and they miss. And uh, and not that I don't miss, I do, but I do everything in my power to make sure that when I do finally get that shot, it, it counts. So number three would be a uh, shooting skill, right. shooting preparation, having my equipment perfect and, and um, my shooting form is as close to perfect as I can get it. Cool. That actually kind of leads me into my next question. You said preparation. What are some of the things you do to prepare for a hunt? Uh, what are, what are some of the things that you do to practice to become a better shooter? Well, one of the things, uh, one thing I've noticed in, in just watching my buddies and, and uh, other bow hunters practices, they tend to practice in their backyard or say at a shooting league, and they always practice on flat ground shooting at a, a given distance and they do everything the same. And, and it's great because it, teaches you repetition and teaches you what a good shot is. However, mm-hmm. hunting situations and hunting situations, as we're all aware, when you actually get a shot in hunting situations, very rarely is it on flat ground with no wind <laughs> in, in perfect weather, broadside shot. What, what typically happens is you're leaning out around a tree or you're, you know, you're standing on a rock and, and rising up above another rock or something like that. Mm-hmm. So what I tend to try to do is, is I try to practice different shots in different situations and i tend to try to practice in the wind or in the rain or the environmental conditions that you're going to actually see in a hunting situation not only you learn how to shoot uh you learn the problems that your equipment will happen in those different conditions you learn 
to shoot, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that out in the West here, as you well know, we, we have a lot of wind. And, and, and one of the things that, that it's done for me is I use a very small diameter uh, shaft now, and uh, I use very small fletching and uh, mm-hmm. mechanical broadhead just so that I don't have much wind drift. Right. So, you know, just just practicing and getting your equipment in in uh, in the conditions where you're actually hunting as opposed to just what you're going to do in your backyard. Yeah, I actually sound like a broken record because I'm always saying the same thing. I'm like, practice life-life scenarios. Practice for the game. If you're going to be hunting elk, you know you're going to be on your knees. You know you're going to be, you know, shooting from a seating position a lot of times or kneeling or whatever, or, you know, hunting mule deer in high country, you know, you're going to be getting steep shots. You know, you're, you know, even from tree stand, if you're hunting out of a tree stand, you know, you need, you need to be able to be effective out of a tree stand. You're not standing 20 yards in front of a, you know, a hay bale, like you said, on flat ground, on flat ground. Um, for years, I would always, you know, use a 3D and I would actually stalk into a position that I knew was lifelike, you know, that I could get to on an animal and try to make a shot from that position. Uh, I think that stuff helped me out tremendously over the years. And, and hearing you say it, um, you know, just validates, I feel like, uh, what I've been doing. For, yeah, you'll uh, find it, uh, you know, when you're, when you're uh, leaning out from a, a tree or if you're in a sitting position, you're going to find out that your arrow impacts in a different place than it does mm-hmm. when you're standing uh, square and upright in a T-form position. And once you've discovered that, you can learn how to, to make that shot uh, to where your impact point won't be different. And while we're on that subject, one thing that, that I've learned to do is uh, most people practice, and their first shot's not very good because they're not warmed up. And they gradually kind of warm into their form and warm into their sights. One thing that helped me out tremendously when I when I started bow hunting is to just shoot one shot. I'd leave my bow in the garage, and whenever I'd walk through the garage, I'd just pick it up and make one shot. And interestingly enough, most people shoot four or five shots just to kind of warm up. And a lot of times the impact point will be different. Doing that taught me to get into proper form instantly. Because your muscles right. aren't warmed up, everything's different. But you can train yourself to make a good shot on the first shot. And really, in bowling situations, you already get a second shot. The only shot that really matters is that first shot. So I encourage people to just practice a whole lot of first shots. If you have a place where you can, oh, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, even if you're, you know, at work or something, and you have a, a bail, even if it's only ten yards away, you pick up your mm-hmm. bow periodically and then and just shoot a shot and. uh and learn to adapt uh, into the best form that you can on the first shot. That sounds like a, a really good advice. One of the things that I've done kind of similar along those lines is when I go out to practice, my first shot is always my last pin. So I always, you know, if my pins are from 30 to 80 or whatever, 30 to 70, I go out to 70 yards. My first shot is always my, you know, my bottom pin, so to speak, or my furthest distance, you know, if you got a slider or whatever that I can shoot because I plan on making those shots. I know I'm not going to have, like you said, warm up shots, you know, 
most guys will go, they'll start at 20 yards, take a few shots, and they'll back up to 30, take a few shots, and then progress. And um, I always, you know, make it my first shot is always my last pin. So I know that. Well, and, and shooting a long distance uh, <laughs> accentuates your problems. If you can shoot a good shot at, at 70 yards, then you're going to shoot a really good shot at 20 or 30. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons I, I like to practice at longer distances because it accentuates all your mistakes and, and mm-hmm. teaches you how to eliminate them. Yeah, absolutely. What are uh, some of the other things you do to prepare for a hunt? Well, I, I kind of brushed on this, but one of the things I'm meticulous about is my equipment. Um, I lost a lot of animals because something went wrong, you know, in the, mm-hmm. in the, in, in the moment. So I, I really make sure my equipment's in good condition. I go through, especially right before an important hunt, I go through tighten down all the, all the, the bolts. And I use a lot tighter on a lot of bolts and make sure everything's in, in great condition, make sure my string's in good condition, my, my D loops in good condition, my releases are, are shooting well. If your equipment's in good condition, and uh, the other thing that I do to prepare is, is, and I've done this my whole life, is I, I make sure I'm in good shape. And, you know, I, I try to work out throughout the year, and I've always been I've always been somewhat of an endurance athlete. I always do some sort of endurance competition. And really, especially hunting out here in the West uh, for mule deer, mm-hmm. uh, it's important to be in good shape. Uh, because people that aren't in good shape uh, tend to want to go home after a couple of days. And if you're, mm-hmm. in, if you're in really good condition, you can stay out there longer. You're going to enjoy it more. And, and, uh, and when you do need to move fast, uh, you can move fast. So keeping myself in good condition and, and my equipment in good condition are, are really two of the biggest things. And the other thing is, um, as far as preparation goes, one of the things that, that I had issues with a lot when I was younger, uh, when I was, uh, you know, kind of hand to mouth um, and and I had to work a lot, was that mm-hmm. when I would leave to go on a hunting trip, I always had kind of fire smoldering back home and I always felt that I needed to go back home as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. One of the things I had done for preparation, uh, more mental preparation than anything else, is making sure when I'm getting ready to go for a hunt, I've got all my fires put out, I've got everything in place, so that I don't have to be worrying about all the different issues that I have at work or at home, so that uh, psychologically I'm prepared to stay out there without all the all the worries that I used to have. Um, yeah. It just allows me to stay out there longer and, and, and stay focused on the hunt. That's great advice. Um, it's actually something I've struggled with for a long time. You know, I've kind of made my business so that I can run it anywhere uh, as long as I have internet or cell phone service. And, uh, you know, I've kind of make, I've made it so it's a little bit more uh, passive income, but having a family and all that stuff, it's still always weighing in the back of my mind. Let me try to get this hunt done with, with as fast as possible so I can get back home, you know, yeah, and the family's and, a, and big, stuff like that, a big deal because you know. your family has to be your number one priority. And, and what I've tried to do is spend as much time at, and as much attention as I can while I'm with them so that when, right. I, when I am gone, gone, they don't feel that they're being, you know, ignored or abandoned. So, yeah, it's especially hard with, with young kids. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, yeah. 
and uh, it becomes easier as your kids get older, especially if they go with you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, if they're going with you, then obviously it's a... Yeah, I, I kind of did that sometimes with this, this sheep hunt, you know? Like, I had the whole month, and I decided to take a sheep on the third day. Heck, I shot at one on the second day, and I missed them. I, I, I misranged them, but... I, and then I, when I got done and I, sh- I got done, you know, we packed them out and everything. I said, I was like, why? You know, not that I was unhappy with the sheep because I'm not unhappy with the sheep that I took. Um, I was never about uh, score or inches or anything like that for me. It's just that the experience was over. And I was like, I had all months. I already kind of pre-prepared my, my, my life, my family and everything that, you know, I could possibly be gone for, you know, 15, 20 days you know, in the month of December and, and I didn't, and I was like, Oh, why did I do that? <laughs> well, you know, but, you know, now, the, let me, let me tell you a story that'll, that'll make you feel better about your decision. I drew a Nevada desert sheep tag oh, probably 10 years ago. And my brother and another buddy went up to help me. And I saw a really nice Ram, not a giant Ram, but a good Ram first right. And I actually snuck up on him about 40 yards away. And I thought, you know what? This is the first day. I'm not going to shoot this round the first day. Mm-hmm. Well, 21 days later, I was still out there hunting. And at that point, oh, I was by myself. I was depressed. <laughs> I was worn out. And I finally shot a sheep, but it was a much smaller sheep than the one I passed up the first day. So, especially wow. sheep hunting. You know, you shot a nice sheep. You had a good experience. Uh, looking back on my situation, I, I wish I would have shot that sheep the first day. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, and cut the, <laughs> the hunt short. So right. that's one thing about hunters is we're always second guessing ourselves. And unfortunately we don't always get the, things don't happen in a, a linear ma- manner. You don't always see the best sheep later on in the hunt. Oftentimes right, right. the best sheep early on. So you have to take the opportunity when it, when it presents itself. Yeah, true, true. All right, so what is your favorite time of year to hunt mule deer and why? Well, that's pretty easy. It's, you know, the uh, early season, late August, early September. And, you know, you'd think that it would be, uh, you know, if you look at it logically, you think, well, you know, why, especially here in Arizona where you can hunt, uh, in the rut in December and January, why wouldn't it be in in the rut? Well, mm-hmm. what I found is is in especially in the high mountain areas in the summer. I, I love to scout. I love to be in the mountains in the summertime. As a matter of fact, my most favorite time to be in the woods is is in the summertime. I actually enjoy my scouting trips more than I do my hunting trips because in scouting there's no pressure, but. I just right. wanted to scout it. And the nice thing about scouting for deer in the summertime is when when you find a deer, let's say you find it in July or August, that deer is probably going to be very close to that place when the hunting season rolls around the 1st of September. And that's not necessarily true later on. What happens is the bucks will move into where the does are. So you might right. scout a buck in November or early December, and when the rut comes around, he's not going to be there. He's going to be somewhere else. So because I enjoy scouting so much, and I, I think that's the most one of the most important things to actually killing a, a really good buck, in the summertime, it's just great to be up in the mountains scouting. And then if you do find a good deer, like I say, he's going to be there when the hunting season rolls around. So right. that's why 
that is my favorite mm-hmm. kind. Plus, there's something about velvet antlers. Oh, I yeah. Velvet antlers. That's my, that's my nemesis, actually. You know, I, um, I don't have any really big bucks in velvet. I shot a bunch of, you know, young ones early in the, or earlier in my, uh, my tenure, you know, forkies and, you know, little three points and stuff like that. And I, I got one or two fours that are, you know, barely breaking 130 in velvet, but I don't have any big bucks in velvet. All my big bucks are from, from the rut. And I re- I love hunting the rut. And, and the reason why I love hunting the rut is because I love the time of year. I love the weather. But I understand what you're saying about being in the mountains in, in that time of year, in the early season. I love it. But I've never had the time because I, I have a pool business. So, you know, July, August, I'm still on fire at work. So, right. I do go hunting that, you know, when the, when the season starts, but I don't have the time to scout like I need to, to find that exceptional deer. The other thing is too, is when it's hot outside and the deer are using the shadier slopes and stuff like that, where you pretty much have to glass into the sun. I cannot glass into the sun. I have a real problem with uh, light sensitivity and I, I just cannot see and it, and it puts me at a disadvantage where in the winter time, they're exactly where I can look, you know, on the sunny slopes and, you know, and that stuff. And I, and I tend to be a much better at locating them. Plus I, I keep tabs on those, uh, throughout the year. And I know where the big doe groups are. And usually that's where the big, you know, where the big bucks come in, as you mentioned earlier. So yeah, I, velvet mule deer have been, uh, I don't have any velvet uh, whitetail either, but I have a the few that I have are, are, you know, they're not very big and I, it's been my nemesis. Uh, and, and I've tried the last few years and uh, the only book that I ended up shooting shed his velvet the day before, <laughs> the day before I got him. So, yeah. What did he yeah, do? It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, you kind of have to go with what your, what your job allows you to do. And, and, uh, I've always been able to take more time off uh, in in the late summer because things kind of slowed down for me there as a, as a veterinarian. So I was able to go out, and that's when I could actually go out and look. And and but if your job doesn't let you, you know, it just doesn't let you. And, and uh, the nice thing about Arizona is, you know, uh, a lot of the northern units are open in in late mm-hmm. August uh, through September, and and you can get out of the valley here where it's so hot and get up there where it's in the 70s and 80s and uh, yeah for sure and uh you know find a deer in in august and uh chase it in in uh late august oh yeah i I spent my first 10 years hunting here in arizona uh bow hunting here in arizona we're all up north um you know i primarily hunted around flagstaff i did a little out by you know between Payson and uh in the white mountains and stuff but I, uh, yeah, I just never, I never really had any, I shot deer almost every year, but you know, there were always little, little dinky bucks. Um, I just, you know, shot the yeah, shoot deer, pretty much. Yeah. De- Arizona doesn't, up on the rim country, Arizona game and fish doesn't manage for mm-hmm. uh, very much age class of deer and a very high age class of deer. And so it's kind of hard to find a big deer up, up on the rim country, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've seen them. I've made stocks. I just never connected. Um, on, and I, 
I used to run a lot of trail cameras and, and, you know, I, I'd set up my own little water holes and stuff like that. And I try to tree stand hunt them and they were there, you know, leading up to the season. And then soon as season would start, they would be there for the first two days. And if you weren't there opening day second, and second day, the, the pressure of all the people showing up to the mountains that time of year blew them out of there. You know, they would not huh. stay on that pattern. Yeah. That was messing me up. And I was partly because I don't, I think I wasn't uh, searching out areas that were far enough away from the crowds. Um, yes, exactly. So I've kind of, I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to hunt in August. So, which is kind of a good thing, I guess, because I've been shooting deer in January uh, for the last few years. So I didn't, or January, or, or I drew rifle tags and I and I shot two bucks in December or whatever. Um, so I haven't done that that early season hunt in, in a few years now. But um, I think uh, if I don't score one here in January, I'm going to put some serious effort in getting myself a a uh, velvet muley. In the early yeah, season. there you go. Well, you might want to try the Kaibab. They've got, you know, that that's kind of coming back, and they're getting some pretty nice bucks up there. Yeah, I hunted up there a couple times um, when it was, you know, over the counter, and you just had to buy the, uh, you know, the stamp or whatever. And I aired when I was up there. I aired on the side of Trophy Hunter, which I don't usually do, and I passed up some okay bucks, but I never really got on anything real big. I'm I'm pretty good friends with Dwayne Adams and he had helped me out years ago years ago and gave me a couple of spots and whatnot and I um you know, I was really hoping to get something exquisite being up on the Kaibab and I never did and then they closed it down and became a you know, a draw. I don't know if you're talking to the right guy there. Dwayne knows the Kaibab better than anybody that I know. I mean he really knows the Kaibab. Yeah. Uh, for sure. So that's good. For sure. All right. So I, uh, I'm going to try to make this into a question here. You know, what tactics, uh, you're primarily a spot stalk hunter, so we're going to kind of gear this to that. What tactics do you prefer to use? Like, kind of walk me through with a perfectly executed stalk. Like, what are the, some of the things that you do to make prior to going on the stalk, like planning it? You know, how do you prefer to have the win, or what will you what would you accept for wind? You know, we all have our, you know, everybody wants directly in the face, but you know, what, what, what were your, what are you willing to give, uh, you know, to give it a go at with, with, with type of wind, you know, give me your ideal conditions and whatnot. Well, first of all, we'll start from the very beginning. What in an ideal situation, I would have found the buck in the summertime and I would have watched him and have an idea of, you know, where he lives, where he beds, where he feeds, um, mm-hmm. you know, what basin he lives in, first of all. And then if I'm by myself, uh, it's always better to have someone help me uh, um, if you can, if, you, if you're able to have someone help you. But mm-hmm. uh, ideally, if I'm by myself, what I tend to do is I want the buck fairly stationary. So, you know, I'll wait till they bed down. And because if they're up moving around, by the time you get, typically I'm hunting in mountain country. So I'm spotting my deer uh, from one hillside to another hillside. Right. And in order to get all the way up and around 
to them, you know, it may take an hour, it may take two hours, depending on the type of country you're in. So if the buck's up and walking around, it, it's tough to know where he's going to be when you get to the other side. So if I'm by myself, I'll typically wait for the buck to bed down. And I'll mark the, and, and if I can, if I have my cell phone with me, I'll take a picture of where the buck is bedded. So right. when I come back up over the other ridge, what tends to happen is, is you've done it, I know, and we've all done it, is, you know, it looks like there's no way we could not know where we were when we got to the other side of the ridge that the buck's on. Uh, but once you get over there, it never looks like it's supposed to look. So right. I'll really try to mark it well, and I'll try to take a picture so I can see uh, how the ridge line goes down or if there's a specific type of tree on the ridge or a group of aspens or something. So I can mark where I got to come back up over the top uh, perfectly. And then once I've done that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come up to the top ridge. And I like to sneak in, you know, I'll take my shoes off. I like to sneak in on my, in my stocking feet. And I typically wear uh, uh, knee pads so I can, I can crawl without killing my knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I just uh, try to crawl in. And as far as wind goes, obviously uh, in the afternoons or in that once uh, the sun comes up, you typically have thermals, but what really happens in the in the bigger mountains is, is typically as as the day wears on, the wind gets more. Uh, it's the wind starts blowing, and right. so the thermals aren't the, the thermals are overpowered by whatever the wind's doing, and that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest problems you have in the mountains is is you tend to have a lot of swirling winds, so it can be very difficult. But I'm typically hunting one deer. If the situation mm-hmm. isn't right, if I think that this deer is going to bust me, I won't go on the stock. So right. even if I have to wait a day or two or three days to, to get the deer in the right position, because mm-hmm. the last thing I want to do is spook them out. But So I don't take chances with the wind. If the wind's not good, I don't take a chance unless I can go in. Like if the deer's just over the top of the ridge and I think I can basically almost run in there, and uh, come up over the top fairly quickly. Uh, the longer you spend close to a deer, uh, the more likely you are to uh, to bust him. But but and what I'll do in situations like that is uh, I'll get say three or four hundred yards, depending on my my uh, my hygiene situation. If I'm where I had just taken a shower that morning, uh, mm-hmm. then I can get within three hundred yards or so because I don't stink as bad. Uh, mm-hmm. And just wait for the, either the wind to change or the deer to move. Uh, get in a position right. where I can kind of see where the deer is, and just wait, wait, wait till it, uh, it's a better situation. But if the wind's good, I'll go in there and get it done right away. Uh, if the mm-hmm. bug's in a place, I can sneak up and shoot. I don't really like to sneak up on bedded deer unless there's a place where I can just. If if I have to sneak within the deer's eyesight, uh, it's not going to work. Uh, if I can sneak up on the deer and get a shot without him ever having the chance to see me, then I will take that, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you have help, you know, it's a, it's much better if you've got a, you know, if you've got somebody on the other side of the hill uh, that can give you hand signals or if you are one of the people that use radios on your, uh, you know, in Arizona, it's legal to use radios. Uh, mm-hmm. Then it's much, much better to uh, have another guy over there telling you what's going on or giving you hand signals so that, you know, you know, and we've, my brother and I have a very sophisticated set of hand signals that uh, can, you know, tell you exactly 
where the deer is, what he's doing, and how far you are away from the deer, and and the whole bit. We have signals to tell you if the deer is up and walking, in which direction the deer is from you, and exactly how far. Uh, all with with hand signals. So yeah, um, for sure, it's much much more helpful because all of a sudden you're getting a picture of what's going on without having to expose yourself. Exactly. I use radios. Are and any state allows me to use radio, I'll use radio. Right. I mean, right. And you know, some people, and, and I've got no problem. People look down at it people, all the time. But some people, uh, you know, Pope and Young doesn't want you to put a, an animal in the Pope and Young record books if it's, if radios are used. And some people frown on it, but, uh, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly, uh, something that, 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 that helps. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it, it can become a crutch. I noticed this with my my cousins because they primarily only hunt here, and you know we use radios over here. So I noticed this with my cousin uh, on on, this, on my hunt in I took him to Wyoming, and he's not used to looking at a deer, or uh, we were hunting antelope at the time actually, looking at an antelope and saying, "Okay, let me plan my stalk," and basically he, he was getting lost getting over to the animal because he didn't have somebody saying, okay, go left, go right, you know, directing them exactly where to go. It's always a big learning curve. I hunt all over the place. So, you know, there are plenty of states that don't allow it. And I've, I've had to learn how to, you know, do without, but, um, it's definitely nice to have. I don't frown upon it. I, I mean, does it help? Yes. Is it does it mean that, Every time you go on a stalk, you're going to kill something. <laughs> Definitely not. So they're still very difficult. And, and the guy behind the radio needs to know what they're doing, too. So, you know, just having somebody on the radio doesn't uh, necessarily mean it's going to help you any. Anyhow. Well, that's it. It's all I got for you as far as questions are concerned. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom or anything you want to pass along to everybody? <laughs> well, I don't know if that I have any words of wisdom. But one thing I'd encourage... When, you know, as you as you get older as a hunter and as you mature as a hunter, uh, the one thing I would say uh, to especially young hunters is the one thing guys get real serious, especially, you know, if you just experienced it, but you just had a really uh, coveted sheep tag. Or here in Arizona, you know, you don't get drawn for elk, but once every five years or so maybe. And what happens is tend, people tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves to, uh, to succeed or to be um, – to shoot a big one. And, and trust me, I, I like to shoot a big one as much as anybody else. But the one thing I, I can say that I truly learned over the last 30 or 40 years of bow hunting is to always have fun. And, and a lot of that depends on the, the, the people you choose to hunt with. Uh, one thing that I found is, you know, hunting is our recreation. It's what we do for fun. Uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of people kind of lose that, uh, that sense, uh, in, in their quest to be successful, they lose this, the uh, the enjoyment and, and the camaraderie. And, and you know, the animals, that, um, uh, being successful in, in as far as getting a nice animal is kind of just the icing on the cake. I look back mm-hmm. on some of my most favorite hunts and most memorable hunts, and they aren't necessarily the time when I shot something or shot something big. It was usually who I was with and what kind of time we had and, and just being in the outdoors. So, so I, I guess my advice is just, Enjoy the experience. Enjoy the people you're with. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. I had a, I've, I've gone back and forth with this many times over the years, where I've caught myself, you know, 
not enjoying my hunt because I was too focused on, um, you know, getting something big or whatever. And, and somewhere along the line, I decided I wasn't going to hunt. Um, you know, you, you get this all the time, like this argument, uh, meat hunter, trophy hunter type deal. And, and I tell everybody I'm both, I'm a meat hunter, I'm a trophy hunter, uh, but I'm neither at the same time. I, I'm an experienced hunter. I'm out there for the experience to enjoy everything about that hunt. And it's definitely made me, it's actually made me more successful again, because you said, like you said, you don't put pressure on yourself and you're enjoying the hunt. Uh, and, and you take something home every time you take home the experience every time, even if you right. don't feel your tag. So, and, and, and people think that it, the trophy hunting and, and uh, having fun are mutually exclusive, but, but I would argue just the opposite. Uh, I actually have more enjoyment as a trophy hunter. And the reason I do is because if I were strictly going to shoot the first day out of myself, first of all, I wouldn't get to stay out there as long. And right. the true, the most enjoyment I have on any hunt is the scouting. And if I were a, just a meat hunter, or, you know, just going to shoot the first buck I saw, I wouldn't spend a lot of time scouting because I wouldn't need to. But mm-hmm. I spend so much time scouting, so many deer. I look at so many deer, look in so many basins. And that is truly enjoyable. And then I actually get to spend more time hunting because uh, <laughs> because it takes a lot longer uh, right. to, uh, to uh, try to shoot something of size. Mm-hmm. But if you can do that, and not get so stressed out about the trophy, then then you can get the best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to look at it for sure. So, but uh, you got any other? You got hunts uh, planned for the rest of the year? Or are you gonna be hunting? I've uh, I've got a buddy uh, a buddy of mine from Colorado drew a rifle uh, coos deer tag the trophy hunt the late okay. season. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going to spend the week uh, between Christmas and New Year's helping him uh, up in Unit 23. So, so oh, that's, that's really about that all I have. And I'll, we'll probably get out a little bit in January and chase deer out. Nice. Good deal. I, uh, Good. Well, John, I appreciate you uh, inviting me on your program. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.